please note, this episode contains some strong language and references physical and sexual abuse, which some listeners may find distressing. Please find helpful links in the show notes if you have been affected by any of the issues referenced in this episode. Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. Does it say recording your end, John? Yes, it does. Amazing. Well, I feel like this is the the most like pivotal, exciting time that I could be speaking to this person on the bra and the brief. And actually, well, I say that, I mean, what is to come is going to be even more exciting, I'm sure. But I am delighted and totally honoured to be speaking to John Bulgens. Hi, John. Hi, Lisa. How are you doing? So good. So good. (laughs) Thank you so much. Just to make everybody jealous that's here in Bonnie, Scotland, and it's dreek outside, where, where are you in the world right now? I'm in uh, the cold winter of Southern California in a T-shirt and shorts. <laughs> <laughs> Rub uh, it in, why don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to be like 72 today, so it's not too bad. It's not too cold. Oh, I'll be fine. That would do nicely. Uh, I'll be all right. It's all right for the middle of winter. <laughs> Definitely. Well, it's four o'clock here, and it's practically like, the street lights are on it's that dark oh my god i mean i don't miss that of glasgow like i, I loved growing up in glasgow but yeah uh those dark nights like you go to school in the dark and gone home in the dark and then you're obviously like growing up you were sitting as close as you could as to the radiator you know so it's like who's getting the, the window the, the the seat near the window so you're like <laughs> with these big brown and gray radiators so i'm sure the schools are a bit more advanced today yeah, the, the schools that I've been in recently, I they are. Although you get, they do get the odd one where you're like, "Geez, oh, this is like a time warp." Like you've literally stepped back in time. Wow, <laughs> amazing, amazing. And talking about stepping back in time, I have a prop with me that is of no use to anybody listening to the podcast, but I will explain. But I think when you see it, you'll know why I looked it out. Oh my god! I knew you were going to bring ET to the party. Look at him. Look at, look at him, I mean, he's, look at him, he's, he's very old because this is one of the original ETs that came out. It couldn't have been that long, maybe a couple of years after the film because the film came out in 1982. I was yep. born in 82. Wow. So I must have got this as a kid. It came in a brown paper bag, I remember. No way. Totally. And I kept it, well, my parents kept it in their loft all this time and gave it to me a couple of years ago. And just <laughs> when I was researching and getting ready to speak to you, I thought, John will appreciate E.T. Oh, look at him. I, I know. He's a bit decrepit now. His leather's kind of given up the ghost. But I think he's, know. yeah. His, his, neck, his, his neck is shrunk as well. <laughs> oh, but E.T., the film, does have a, a special place in my heart. Like, I, Well, I say that I can't actually watch it because I'm so emotional every time I watch it. But I know that E.T. has a very special and significant meaning in your life, John. And that uh, is that when you saw it, you fell in love with well I guess you fell in love with bikes in general but BMX more specifically yeah exactly I mean it was um, I can't remember the cinema it might have been the Grosvenor down Great Western Road and so I had just been fostered so I was in uh, Glen Rosa Children's Home over in um, Shields Road 
And uh, anyway, so I was living with my foster parents, and it was the first movie they took me to see. Uh, we went to ET, and I came from this rough back. I came from Drumchapel. Now I'm living in Kelvin Sight. So at least yeah. the, the Glasgow listeners can understand that. Americans wouldn't understand it. Mm. But, um, yeah, so moving in, I always tell them, I said, it's like growing up in Crenshaw and moving to Beverly Hills. <laughs> Got you. Yeah. Right, right. I feel like the Fresh Prince of the West End. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so we, we went and saw the movie. And, yeah, like everybody, you're in tears, you're in awe. And when I saw them flying the bike out of here, I was just like, holy this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to fly my bike out of here. I mean, when I was growing up in Glasgow, I thought like the outskirts of Glasgow, like I thought Irvine was another planet away. You know, I never imagined that. I mean, last year was my 30th trip around the world on a BMX. Like that's where it's taking me. I didn't ride the BMX with flying, obviously. <laughs> I was in a plane. But, um, but that's what ET did for me. It opened up the possibility that I could fly. And that's what I do on my bike. I mean, I'm an adrenaline junkie and I still am. I mean, I'm almost 49. I'm still riding a BMX, a wee kid's bike. Like it's, it's, it's more acceptable in Southern California because this is where it all started. This was a hub. BMX and skateboarding, surfing, it all really started here. I mean, some of my friends are, yeah, some of my friends are 60 and still riding BMX bikes. Love this. Love and that. It's absolutely brilliant because um, something I always say is, um, you know, people are, sadly, adults are always telling children, grow up. And I'm like, no, you need to grow down. You've been 14. You've been six. They've never been 45. So you can relate to them. They'll never relate to you. So I know I'm jumping all over the place, but it's about this BMX feeling. I'm never going to grow up. Well, that's the passion. <laughs> that's that's yeah. where it stems from. And you've managed to continue that and grow that and, and grow that into a career, which, you know, for many people, you might have a passion in life and, you know, it's with you throughout your whole entire life and whatever happens to you. But you you took it that one step further and made it your life's work. Yeah. And you, like you're saying still to this day, it's it's something that's just part of your life. It's it's part of your identity. And I guess that, like, that idea of like dare to dream at that point, you know, as a young person in a really difficult situation and having suffered so much in your very young life at that age to yeah. to be able to to dream but then realize that dream I, I guess that getting your first BMX bike like getting your first bike would be the opportunity to like right well I'm gonna I'm gonna give this a go I'm gonna see if I can actually make this bike fly <laughs> yeah exactly I mean I totally everything about it like I mean I grew I was born in White Inch and then in 1975 there was a bin strike so White Inch was pretty much demolished by the army. They all came in because it was millions and millions of rats. And then back then we were all dispersed all over Glasgow. So we got moved from White Inch to Drumchapel. And then like growing up and it was, it was poverty. My parents, it was hard enough to just put food on the table, never mind buy me a bike. And sadly my dad was an alcoholic, so he was drinking all the money anyway. So most of the time my brother was going out, breaking any houses, breaking any shops just to buy food. For the family. So, um, yeah, he, everyone was thinking that my brother was a, a bad kid and everything else. But he was actually trying. I mean, what would that be? So I was three. So he'd have been eight, eight years old. He's breaking into the bakery just to get food for the family. Survival. Survival. Yeah. And it was survival of the fittest. It really was. And, yeah, he wasn't a bad guy. And he isn't a bad guy. And neither was I. We were just in an, a situation that, well, what do you do? You're bloody starving. So the only way you're going to get money, if your dad's not providing, putting food on the table, you need to go out and get it somewhere else. And that's what we did. So 
and moving forward to like to drum chapel then to being in the home to then being adopted to get to get sorry fostered before the adoption but to get a bike i mean that was my first mode of transportation that was my outlet that was my escape like i felt like i could go anywhere and i still get that feeling today and it's it's like everywhere i go no matter where i go i'm taking my bmx bike on the plane (laughs) (laughs) in the seat next to you I know, exactly, exactly. I mean, it's like, yeah, I was I was thrown out of school at 15. I was told I was, a, I was going to amount to nothing. I had no education, but my education has become from travel. For, I, I mean, I've been to China over over 50 times. I've been to China, um, Taiwan, Japan, like all over Asia, South America, North America, um, and obviously all over Europe. And it was this little kid, I, I'm just remembering a vivid little uh, point. So in Drum Chapel, there was this um, behind all the what do you call those flats? I can't remember, but it was it was like a creek, and we'd be down there. And I found I found a, a, the original Batman car. So this is like from the seventies, and I'm in I'm, this is in the seventies, and so I was just digging into the mushy fucking swamp almost, <laughs> making a bat cave and everything. And I'm just remembering this. I don't even know where I'm going with this, but it was like. That was the imagination I had. I wanted to get out of here. So it was like, get out of the situation. Not get out of Glasgow, but get out of the situation I was in. And so going from that little car that wasn't even mine. I mean, I never had a birthday present. I never had a Christmas gift. So to find that little car that was all rusty, but found in it. Totally struck gold. I did. Exactly. That's what it felt like. I, I had something now. And so I dug this little cave and everything. I totally, vividly, I can see it. I mean, this is 40-odd years ago. But, yeah, made that that little cave just to look like that, where Batman would hide his car and everything. And then so getting that bike, it was like, wow. I now... I can be Batman. I, yeah, I can be Batman. <laughs> I, like. I mean, I now actually have the Batmobile. I have a, a Camaro ZL1 supercharger, and my car oh. does 0 to 60 in 3.2 seconds. So I feel like the real Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And it's that, you know, it, it's those memories that must really, you know, have been like pivotal moments in your life that will just stay with you. Like even like you're saying, like 40 years on, you're able to recall that within an instant, just to remember how you felt at that moment. Yeah, but, I mean, I've never even spoken about that in 40 years. And it just came back to me came back having to this you. conversation. And, and it's weird how these little things happen. And it's always these little points. I don't live in the past, but I respect my past. And I love that I went through that, all the crap I went through. I mean, my dad threw me in a fire when I was three years old. And all I was doing was hugging him. I just wanted to hug him because he came home from work. And he picked me up. I was behind his shoulders. He threw me over the shoulders. And it was one of those electrical fires. And I had no guard on it. And my foot and my sock got stuck in between the two bars and just melted my foot apart. I mean, that's the kind of love I was getting from him, you know. Sorry, I'm jumping all over. No, no, please don't apologize. And, you know, I... Reading your book and speaking to you now, I'm still, I'm still going. How did you have the strength of character, the confidence, the creativity, the energy not to, like you say, be be living in your past and be resentful, and and go down a pathway that you know many others would be excused for going down? How did you manage to take that initial passion for? Being on your your bike and and that idea of exploring and escapism 
to the levels that you have? Like, what do you think it was something that was in you? I mean, I, I know from your book you were then encouraged greatly by your adoptive parents, which was wonderful. But do you think it was like a combination of then how your your life started to change at that age? Yeah, I mean, again, it's um, I'm trying to remember where I saw this, but I saw the Erskine Bridge, and I wanted to go on an adventure. I'm five years old, <laughs> and I just went wandering, heading towards this these big towers. I mean, it must have been freshly made in 77. I don't know when the Erskine Bridge was built, but um, it was about 77, 78. So I was like five or six years old and I just wanted to go on an adventure. So this little adventure from playing in a cave, pretending this was Batman, to then going on my own little adventure on my own. I mean, back then you wouldn't worry about that. Sadly, sometimes I, I did end up in people's houses that I shouldn't have been at such a young age and got myself into trouble. But that was the adventure I wanted to go on, was to get to the Erskine Bridge. And then there was one time I went even further and I went to Irvine. And I just went on my own little hikes. I'm like, no GPS. <laughs> I'm like, that was obviously just in you, that that idea you wanted to escape, you wanted to explore that element of play. You know, it comes up all the time. Like Kids have an amazing imagination. doesn't matter where you come from, what you've been witness to, how many experiences you have, like, if you can tap into that imagination, you can build like a whole other world. In that oh, my idea. God. Exactly. And that's what it was. So even my parents will always say, when I say my parents, they're my parents. When I say my biological parents, they'll say the biological. So my parents, they, they still say today, they were like, we don't know where it came from. Like, I am an anal methodical freak. I think I've got ADHD. I mean, it's like... There's no mess. I can't get my nails dirty or nothing. And really? Like, yeah, I'm just, you know, I can't believe I didn't do my hair today, but it's been <laughs> a crazy fabulous, weekend. John, fabulous. <laughs> but so my mum my and dad are always going, look, we never taught you that. But what they did teach me was love. They taught me that um, surround yourself with love, with passionate people, with driven people. Who, who do you want to be in life? Well, surround yourself with those people. So if I was surrounding myself in the negativity, the depression, you think you're helping people, all you're doing is bringing yourself down. So if you are in that situation, surround yourself with five of the most inspirational, powerful, passionate people that you want to be. Because you that's the only way you're going to get out of there. Yeah. If you're you in that situation. You can't be what you can't see, almost. Exactly. Exactly. 100%. Mm -hmm. 100%. So I got a snippet of that with my mum and dad. And then when I got into the whole BMX thing and then I started learning more about this was actually happening all over Scotland. And I had friends, you know, from Glasgow, Dundee, Edinburgh, Aberdeen, Perth. Um, and we were all going through the same thing that we actually all met and it was like a brotherhood. And I am still friends with these guys 40 years later. I'm still, they're my best friends. I mean, I will retire in Scotland. I'm making, yeah. you know, a good living here in California, but, um, yeah, I'm always, I'm always at least once or twice a week looking at the real estate in Scotland going, oh, oh I could live there. <laughs> because over here, my, my friends in America are all like, oh, are you okay, Hollywood? Or do you want me to pick you up, Hollywood? But when I go back, when I go back home, everyone's like, shut it, you deep. <laughs> and like, and I'm not taking any nonsense here. Don't get too big for your boots. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's your true friends. Your true friends are going to say it to your face, mm. you know, and that's what that's what I'm driven by. I'm driven by the the love and the the passion and the hope and yeah, just being around those amazing people. And they are they're all out there. I mean, yeah. when you look at your life, I look at it and go, look, 
where you are right now in this moment, 99% of everything that's happening right now is perfect. But we concentrate on the 1%. That 1% that isn't right, you're like, oh, what's wrong here? I'm like, why are we concentrating on that? Because all it's doing is bringing you down because no one's ever going to be 100%. But you'll be 99%, look in the mirror in the morning and acknowledge yourself for who you are, not for who you're not. So true. It's almost like it's such a good idea to do like a gratitude list, I think, even at the end of a day when it feels like a day's been really heavy or bad things have happened, like just to go, but what was good about today? What what was great? Like there's always stuff that you can find that's, you know, that you can be grateful for, that you can hone in that's more positive. It's almost like a choice. And, you know, just like taking you back to then, you know, you're saying you were in Dundee and you made all these amazing friends that were into the same thing. And I'm always, like, as someone who works with young people, you know, even nowadays, I'm always like champion, like find something you love and stick with it. Like, because they are the friends, like, you know, I've got friends from when I went to dancing when I was a kid, you know, and I'm still dancing at age, what am I, 38, you know, like these are the things, these are the people like you're saying that you keep in your life forever because they were formative years when you were a teenager and you were kicking about the parks and you, you were fight, trying to find wood to make ramps. And, you know, that was like, that's the stuff that you remember. That's like, that formed you. Yep. to the person you you are now totally. you know but to think there was like someone who i've been on a bmx once it did not end very well <laughs> down kelvin grove was it down kelvin grove well i'm see i'm i'm a, a north lanarkshire punter i'm from bells hill oh, so i'm wow, sure yeah. it was in a street in moss end and my pal mm-hmm. got a bmx for our christmas and i went on it and i landed at the bottom of the street and i think i just screamed until my mommy came and found me <laughs> oh no way drama queen drama queen i'm wow. risk of whereas we now know john that you're very much like you're like heading towards the risk you're like yes. give, me all, give me all the risk <laughs> I mean that was it I think again it's from the childhood I was never scared and so that's what I got when I rode my bike I was like well if I commit a hundred percent then I'll pull the trick and I share that a lot with foster and adoption I'm like you know if you commit to your schoolwork a hundred percent you're going to pass it I was never committed to my schoolwork I was committed to my bike and so you've got almost a parallel reference there. Like if you commit 100%, whatever you're doing, you will get it. I mean, I was told I wasn't going to get this job in California. I have no education, no degree, no diploma. I got nothing, but I've got passion. And so I'm living in Australia. That's another story. But I'm living in Australia for 18 years and my company was going bust. I was going through a divorce and everything. And this job came up as a global brand manager for Harrow Bikes, which was my dream company and I love the bikes I've been riding them for 32 years but they were like look the shareholders don't want a foreigner and I said please will you just see me next week for an interview I had three grand in the bank I spent $2,800 to to fly here for an interview I wasn't going to get but I believed that this was my job not being cocky I just put it out there that this was my job this was where I was supposed to be and so putting myself into action getting on a plane, flying to Los Angeles, hiring a car, driving down to Southern California, which is San Diego. It's only a two and a half hour drive from LA. And I got here and it was meant to be one hour interview. And my interview lasted two and a half days. And by the time I was leaving, Lisa, I said to the president, Joe Hawk, I said, so Joe, am, am I what you're looking for? And he goes, oh my God. He goes, and so much more. He goes, I'm going to fight to get you into this country. He, he organized letters from the Olympic Committee, um, letters from Bob Harrow, who was actually an ET, as well as yes, started, started my company. Yeah. Like, I had 10 references basically saying, this guy hasn't got the education, but they didn't say they didn't have the education. They just said, there's no one like this guy. 
this guy has got so much passion for the sport, for the brand. We have to get him over here. And they fought. I had a, an army behind me fighting for me. And so that's what I've learned as well, Lisa, like growing up. If I was in this life just for me, I would have a very lonely life. I'm in it to inspire you, to inspire the listeners, to inspire everyone that I come in contact with. Because then I'm building an army up and I will be an army of positivity walking behind me as I just grow and grow as they do. And we, we can all do this together. Love will always prevail. Yes, absolutely. Sure. <laughs> and I'm just thinking like, you know, that 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 thing that you hear a lot, like thoughts become things, people buy people, and it is all true. And yes, you know, education is important to an extent, but it's not everybody that gets that education for whatever reason. And it's inspiring young people especially and and people of our age who are maybe doing something that they don't want to do and they have a passion like you've always had but just not had the confidence to go I'm going to pursue that you know so anybody listening they are welcome to that idea of you know if you're passionate about something then there is no wrong path whatever you do and life will lead you towards you where you need to be but the passion will drive it quicker and you will get to where you want to be if you're you know you were obviously coming at that with all that energy everything that you'd put into it thus far you know moving to Australia pursuing the dream of you know being a BMX star like you're saying you, there couldn't be anybody else that was more perfect for that job of course not I mean that was it, it was all even when I, my company was going bust I, I I owned two of my own BMX companies and did manufacturing um nitro circus have you heard of nitro yes, circus okay yes. so they've been mm-hmm. to glasgow and everything and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. so all the kids on bmx rode for me so when they're in glasgow they're all facetiming me because they know i'm from glasgow and travis pastrana and everything mm. all those guys are like oh my god like we're in your hometown we're in your birth town and so my nephews and my brother all got vip tickets to go to the what's that what's the big um the uh, hydro hydro the hydro uh, so they were performing at the Hydro and then so my brother, my sister, my nephews, my niece, they all got VIP passes into the, the Nitro and it was but that's what I did with my company Pilgrim. I, mm. I basically uh, nurtured these young athletes because I saw them as amazing athletes but more importantly I saw them as amazing human beings. I always tell them your job is 95% off the bike. You've already got the skills but if you're a wee dick off the bike I don't want you on the team. I don't want anyone that thinks you're bigger than anyone else. And I've got some of these athletes that have got millions of followers now, but they're so grounded because of the way, not that I trained them, but I basically showed them, you know, this is life. Never forget where you come from. I'll never forget. I come from Drumchapel. Never going to forget it. You know, um, I've got Scotland tattooed across my shoulders. It's the only, t- it's the only tattoo. It's like from... Branded. You know? Exactly. But it's, it's, it is, it's, it's my way of carrying my country with me every day. You know, I'm yeah, so you're saying you've been all over the globe. You know, obviously you then moved to Dundee as a young person, and then, yep. like you mentioned earlier on, moved to Australia. And was that that initial move to pursue like a career? Like, I am going to make this my thing. This is what I'm going to do as a living. Yeah. I mean, that seems like a massive thing for a young person to just decide that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, like, um, so it was 1986 we moved up to Dundee. My my dad's a biological scientist. He was out at the Beetson Institute. Yes. And then he was at Glasgow University. Uh, so he was a, a, a researcher. Then he became a lecturer. And then he went to Dundee University. So, oh, how's this? So he was offered two positions, Dundee or Sydney, Australia. <laughs> it's like, Dundee, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, and my mum, actually, uh, she was working at um, Holyrood 
Teachers mm-hmm. College in Edinburgh. Yeah. So she was going from Glasgow to Edinburgh every day. And then we went up to Dundee and then my mum and dad bought a flat in Edinburgh. So my mum stayed there Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights. So we moved to Dundee in 1986. I'm 14 years old. I go to the Harris Academy. So I'm from Glasgow. I must be a hard nut. So <laughs> everyone wanted to fight me the first week I was there. Gosh. And I'm this wee ginger ninja. I'm like, Jesus. But I had Honestly, through my BMX over the past four years, because now I'm 14, um, I had taken all that um, negativity and all that anger out in my bike instead of fighting all the time. Because I was, I was just fighting all the time. I mean, it is. It's growing up in Glasgow, and then that's what you do. It's the way to keep warm, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, I like how you you managed to to channel that energy and yeah. break that again. That was just you were drawn. You were drawn to it. It was almost like it became part of you. Yeah, I got more. Uh, I was the adrenaline was more powerful on a bike than it was from fighting on the streets. You don't win anything, even if you win the fight, you don't win. But on my bike, I was winning every day to myself. My only competition was me, and that's what I did. You know, I never won a competition across the world. I've never been. I never got first, got second, but never won. Never won a competition. I think and, you're doing all right, John. I think we're fine about that. Well, and that, but that's and that, Lisa. That's what I share. I was like. But there's millions and millions, that's even billion. I mean, what is that, 7.8 billion or 8.4 billion? I'm trying to remember the minute. Like, anyway, on the planet. But mm. there's only one winner. And all these second, third, fourth, I'm not going to say anyone's a loser, but no. you gave it your best. Yeah, so, you wouldn't give up all those opportunities and experiences to say, well, if I'd won, I'd have preferred that. Like, yep. you were there, you you were experiencing, you were meeting all the people, you were travelling, yep. you were showing off your amazing skills. Like, what's better than that? That's winning. Exactly. So I wanted to speak to those kids because there's more kids that didn't get first place than did. So I didn't win the contest, but I feel like I won life. Mm. I mean, I'm living the life I love. I haven't had a job in 26 years. It never feels like a job because I'm just riding a bike. So yeah, moved to Dundee and then um, moved to Australia in 95. And it was funny when I was leaving, all my mates are like, what are you going to do? And I'm no joking. Lisa, I'm like, I'm going to get on Neighbours. And they're like, what yes. the? Yeah, whatever. Sure you are, mate. Sure you are. I'll be and, on Ramsey Street. Just you watch this. Oh, my God. So it's so fun. I've got some great stories of Ramsey Street. And it's actually called Pin Oak. Pin Oak Court. Because look at it. How is it a street? You can't drive through it. It's a court. It so How's it Ramsey Street? But you Why totally it- did end up on that show. I can't believe. See, when I read that, I was like, this story. You could not write this. And I'm I'm still good friends with Alan Fletcher, who's Dr. Carl Kennedy. I'm still really oh yeah. Every time I'm in Melbourne, we could do dinner. Every time he's in Los Angeles, we catch up. Can't believe it, was, it. it was basically yeah, moved over there, um, and within six months, I was on the show. It was absolutely amazing. And then I got so the houses are actually private owned on neighbours. They're all private. Yeah. The studio, the studio is up the street, and the studio is the same studio as uh, Prisoner Cell Block H. So ah. the prison. I'm t- I'm jumping everywhere, but the oh prison the prison is Grundig Television. It looks like a prison. So anyway, that's up the street. So I got to know the real owners of the house, and there was this guy Mick. Mick owned Helen Daniels' house. It was the grey house, right? Yes. It was the grey house at the back. It had the brown garage door that sort of came up, and um, so I got to know Mick and uh, hanging out. So at lunchtime, we would actually go in there and. I mean, I could tell, as I said, I was on it for three years. Um, I was more of an extra, and sometimes I got featured extra, so I got a couple of words in here and there. I was always in the bar, 
mostly or in the I, I was in a lot of scenes at the university with them um so there was stonefish and then there was toadfish so okay. i'm trying to remember i think stonefish was the older and toady toady is the younger one that's ryan maloney so i became uh, we, we used to go drinking all the time so i became really close with the, the whole crew um, and they loved it because I wrote BMX. So then they actually started to do and put BMX scenes into Neighbours. Love it. But it was, <laughs> and then the, the script writer was Ben Michaels, and Ben Michaels loved BMX. So he was naming all my friends characters in there, in the, in the Neighbours, and I'm still friends. Ben Ben actually messaged me yesterday from Melbourne. Uh, he's like, dude, when's your movie coming out? Because like, he wants it in, in Australia. So yeah. I was like, every, it's, it's a, again, it's this little BMX bike. But, like you, you rode a BMX bike, and Ben <laughs> Michaels, who wrote the script for Neighbours, wrote a BMX bike, and it's like you go across the board, and I've got some of the most Kerry Hart and Pink, you know, like I've had Pink on the phone and Kerry Hart and all that Blink One Eight Two, um, Matt Skiba, like all these people at Rancid, like they're all at one point had a BMX bike. Well, so now, I'm just thinking it is like the epitome of cool. Like yeah. even at that time in like Dundee as a young person, I'm thinking like you saying you're going to the high school and you're having to like fit in this Glasgow kid going to Dundee. Like the fact that you were a BMX or like surely that just had the cool factor right away. Like that you could do these amazing tricks on your bike. Well, it did, and then people were like, "I'm like 15, and like when are you going to grow up? What are you riding that wee bike for?" And then I left, and then started working in a bakery, then working in. Uh, hospitality. I was a waiter, then became an assistant, uh, junior assistant manager, trainee manager in the uh, Angus Thistle Hotel. I'm there for five and a half years, and everyone right the way up to what 22 years old. I was working there, so from like I think I went there at 16, so 16 to 22, and everyone's like, "Why are you wasting all your money on these bikes? Why don't you buy a car? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that?" I'm like, "Shut that up! I'll do what I want to do with my money," and I was spending all my money I was spending all my money on bikes not on alcohol mm-hmm. not on drugs I was just this was my drug like they, they say if you could bottle adrenaline I mean that would be more powerful than some of these crazy drugs sadly that um, people are ODing on right now and I know it's a massive problem back home right now but if you could find that passion and that adrenaline that is more powerful and that's what I'm addicted to and I'm addicted to it every day like I want to go on my bike right now and Stop this. No, I'm joking. I just love it. Like, this is what the podcast is all about. It's about people and their passions and that idea of, like, don't grow up. It's a trap. Like, yep. you know, this idea of, like, yeah, you know, get a car and, like, don't, you know, you're going to be fit as a fiddle. You know, you're going to live forever at this rate, the amount of cycling you've done in your life. Like, you know, from a, just, like, a health point of view, you know, you've been active your entire life yeah. on this on, on these bikes. And it's it, like you were saying, it's taking you all over the world. And and then it's taking you to writing a book. I'm 18 on that front cover. So I don't have the eight pack anymore, but yeah. Gosh, what an amazing <laughs> shot that is as well, isn't it? That was in Dundee. Uh, it was probably the two days of summer we had in 1990. I mean, like. People will, and they're actually shin guards, so they're not like high socks, okay? They're not big socks, oh, yeah. they're shin guards. Um, I mean, you like the business. I mean, it looks, you look the part, for goodness sake. But well, I mean, that was it. I was trying to be, I was trying to look like a, I suppose, a Californian back then. You know, I was dressing like, I was, I was ordering. So it was weird. There was no online, but I was oh. ordering, I was ordering my clothes from the USA back then. And even the bike, the bike parts, we couldn't get bike parts in Scotland. 
And the only shop was Dale's, and I think Dale's is still in yeah, Glasgow. Still, yeah, it still right? is. Yeah. So that that was that was the only shop that had it. So even when I moved to Dundee, I would have to go in the train, get through to Glasgow, and then get up to Dale's. But again, they wouldn't carry everything. So a lot of times, I had I've been in the magazines, and I'd have to order everything from America myself. I remember my first Harrow. It was nineteen eighty eight, and it was three hundred sixty five dollars. So it was probably two hundred eighty pound or something like that. And I'm 16 and my mum and dad are like, oh, I don't know, that's a bit much, you know. And then you've got freight and import taxis and everything else. And, and I said, look, can I have a, can, can you loan me the money? And it was the first time I ever got a loan. It was a six-month loan. And I paid my mum and dad off in six months. I worked in a bakery. I did the paper round. And then I was waiting part-time and everything else. But every single cent I got. Um, because I wasn't going to break, again, such early age, but I wasn't going to break my word. I was like, right, I'm going to pay this off because, again, I own it. I wasn't just giving it. And that was one thing my mum and dad really did teach me is that if you want it, you go get it. But you're not going to get given it. They basically, they educated me. My parents educated me. They showed me love. They showed me, you know, this new life fed me. I had a warm home. Uh, it was just amazing. But I had to work for everything. Mm. And at such an early age, I paid off that bike in six months and since then, I have never paid interest ever on a credit card. I paid interest on on my house or my car, but mm. I've never I've never bought anything unless I can afford it. So even when I put it on credit card, I want my points. I don't want to owe money. I just want my points so I can fly and get my upgrades all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking from their point of view, like how, how proud they must be of you, because I think for any parent who really cares about their children it's just that they want them to be happy and that they pursue something that does make them happy because we all know in the end that money and you know things you know apart from obviously bikes they're very important things but (laughs) (laughs) no but like pursuing something that you love a passion and the fact that you've been able to make that into a career for yourself and it's not been handed to you've worked for every inch of that and you've put yourself out there and you've traveled the world and you've put yourself into situations just out of the sheer love of it they must just be so proud and so happy that you've been able to to really just go for this full full pelt <laughs> I mean that's it like um yeah my mum and dad they uh they always wanted to me to to study to be an academic to Followed almost in their footsteps, and I just wasn't. I was born. My dad's a biological scientist, and I failed biology. <laughs> but um, so I was just never interested in that. So when what my mum and dad are my best friends, like mm. we FaceTime every two weeks. I bought them both iPhones, so they we have we have all the FaceTiming and everything, and feel we feel like we're we're even closer today. And uh, it's a couple of years ago when I was back, and um, my we were just having lunch, and my dad turns around and he goes, "You know, John." If I could have done anything, I would have been a cricketer. Because he loved, he played for Glasgow University and loved it. But there was never, he in his mind thought, well, this is, you have to be a lecturer, you have to be a police officer, you have to be a nurse, you have to be a school teacher. It was like growing up and when we grew up, it was like you only had like five or 10 maybe options. But I didn't ever chase the money, I didn't ever think I was going to have a job in this. But I was so passionate that people were just like, give me, give me, what, what is this? What have you got? I just want some of it. Like, what have you got? And it was like, I just love what I do. Well, <laughs> can, I pay, can I pay you to do that? My job here at Harrow is I'm paid to be the visionary. I come up with the ideas and the concepts. I now deal with 86 countries around the world. And I'm the face of the brand. And I'm just a kid in a candy store. 
like you come into my office, as you say, it's, it's on bikes and skateboards, and it's a playroom. I feel like big, you know, with the <laughs> yeah, um, Tom Hanks. So I mean, it is when I come into my office, I feel like a kid in a candy store. I mean, everything is just yeah, toys. It's all toys. It's just play, and everybody should have an aspect of play in their work. I say this all the time. You know, I'm really lucky to work in the arts, and you know. A lot of my job is just play and creating and and and, and play is so important and often as adults we just stop playing we we did we do that thing where you know we grow up we, we you know get off your bike and get a car and be an adult and yeah you know i mean i love some of my friends that are out playing with their kids like actually getting out and falling off their bike and their kids are laughing yeah. at them <laughs> exactly. like, like kids learn if they see things happen <clears throat> they see their, their adults whoever their adults are if it's teachers or parents or you know just anyone in their life being silly and being playful like that's education in itself like teaching a young person that it's okay to be silly it's okay to fall off your bike it's okay to try things and fail you know that that's important like a, a, that idea of being an adult and getting everything right nobody's getting everything right it's just not just doesn't exist you know no so yeah I, i'm loving that you've got a playhouse there it looks it looks brilliant <laughs> <laughs> it looks I, know, actually, I did have i did have vintage skateboards along here they were all brand new in boxes and but I've, i bought a house actually a couple of months ago in southern california and it's it's so hard here i mean cheapest house you'll get here is 600 grand and that's only oh. an apartment kind of thing so it's crazy but um, I actually collected a bunch of bikes and I sold my collection to buy a house. So it was pretty crazy. People are like, why have you got 128 bikes? <laughs> You're like, have you not read the book? Come <clears throat> on, people. <laughs> yeah, read the book, read the and book. When you wrote the book, was that, did that just feel at the right time in your life to be writing the book or were you asked to write it? Like, how did it come around? So it was weird. Um, yeah, failed, failed English. and But I always knew I was going to write a book. I remember, actually, um, it was at the Harris Academy pretty much before it got thrown out. And we did, so I was 15, so it's maybe third year or something. Mm. And I wrote everything. I wrote about being thrown in a fire at three, being sexually molested at five, living on the streets, eating at fucking bins, like begging in Sucky Hall Street, Buchanan Street, like I'd get the train down and all this. So I wrote everything for my English assignment or whatever it was. I put it all down. And my school teacher, when she read it all, just looked at it, scrunched it all up, went, this is shite, and threw it in the bin. And I never spoke about my past again after that. I was just like, gosh. So I never spoke about it until probably I was 30. And I went back to Scotland. So one, I had to go back and see my biological mother because I hated her for 23 years. She had me locked up because I tried to kill my dad with a kitchen knife. And so she had phoned the, called the authorities, had me taken away the next day, and I couldn't forgive her. So I went back to Scotland when I was 30. So 2002, flew back from Australia to Scotland, went and forgave her, and I actually said, thank you, Mum. I said, thank you for loving me enough to let me go. And on another note, that's actually the final words in the movie. But anyway, we'll get onto that. Gosh, such a cathartic, like huge moment in your life at that age to to return to Scotland and go through that, John. Like, yeah, I, so I, 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 opened, like. I opened up opened up to my mum and dad. They never even knew a third of what myself, my siblings all went through. So I opened up to my mum and dad and they were just in tears and my dad was all like, I would have taught you differently, I would have done this, I would have done that, I would have probably treated me with kitten gloves. You know, my parents never hit me once. Verbal, like, um, you know, like there was a stern voice and everything. And mm. so if my mum or dad would uh, I'd be getting into trouble, I used to headbutt the, the concrete tiles in the kitchen 
um, because I was used to getting hit. I wasn't used to getting, I was being disciplined without physically disciplined. And um, so when I opened up and told them all about it, and so that's when I started to let it go and really transform my life to living in the moment. And then it all came about for the book was, we actually did the movie before the book, which is crazy. Chris Sweeney that says, you know, ghost, he's the ghostwriter. He was interviewing me. So he was from The Sun in Glasgow. I remember it again. So this was probably 2000, late 2016. He did the interview. We just finished filming the, the movie. And he's like, oh my God, John. He goes, you need to write a book. And I goes, well, I've always known I was going to write a book, but my English is crap. Like, it's garbage. And he goes, well, do you want a ghostwriter? And I was like, yeah, I'd love a ghostwriter. And he goes, well, do you want to do it together? So it was him that actually worked with me to do the book after we had done the film. Yeah. And it all came from just having an interview for the Sun newspaper. So that's that's where the book came from. And the sad thing is there's still a lot of spelling mistakes and everything in there. So I would love to do like a, a second edition and get all that fixed. Ah, that's just, that's just a wee, spelling mistakes are nothing. That's just a wee hint of John in there. That's what we're like. Oh my God, <laughs> Jesus. Thank, but thanks for uh, Google Translator. But although when you're, t- when you're talking into the phone, um, it doesn't understand the Scottish accent. It still doesn't. I'm like, like, because the past 72 hours, I've answered over 2,000 messages because the movie just came out in America three days ago. And um, so uh, you can't keep typing. Your head, your neck's going to be jacked. So I'm talking into the phone and I keep saying, our, our film, our film. But it comes up with something that I'm like, Film. Film. That's how we started this conversation with me saying, I'm speaking to you such like an important, like full on time in your life. Because yet, like you say, the film, the story of your life came out <sighs> at the weekend. We're, we're three days in a row uh, at the number one viewed movie in America right now. No way. Which, look, at, I'm getting goosebumps. It's like, <laughs> that's, that's nuts. Um, that's it's, it's been remarkable. I mean, I'm getting emotional right now because I'm, I'm replying to every single message and people are opening up their hearts. People just want to be heard, you know? Yeah, and um, just that connection, like your story will just resonate with so many people for various different reasons, you know, for a love of BMX, but also, unfortunately, the stories of, you know, people going through similar situations as, as to you. And like you were saying, like that feels like such a responsibility to, to reply to all these people because you're obviously feeling really appreciative of all the, the opportunities that you've had and the book came around and the film came around. But yeah, like that's that's what your story does to people. It opens the opportunity to talk and that's important. Yeah. That is important. I mean, Lisa, that's what I see myself now. Uh, I'm 50 and like, what, 16 months. And I see myself as being that that face, that outlet that people can talk to. Because growing up, I mean, men can't be raped, you know. Uh, when I was in Glen Rosa, the, the night nurse would come around and just touch us inappropriately and stuff like that. And being able to go out and just be so vulnerable. And I've only learned to be vulnerable in the past five years. Um, but I can't change the past. So what if I can share what I experienced and people can connect and it's an outlet for them. I mean, I've had people in – I mean, I seriously – I, I've been doing live feeds every day since the movie came out and yesterday I did one I said I have cried more times in the past 48 hours than I have in my 48 years um, reading these heartfelt messages it's, it's, it's so draining I mean you can imagine like people are just they haven't been able to tell anyone that they're telling me 
yeah. like you have to acknowledge them. They wanted to be heard, of course. and I heard you. And so my story is different to everyone else's. Mm. But there's there's ways. I mean, there's domestic violence, there's racism, there's child abuse, um, but there's love, there's passion, there's hope, there's driven determination, action sports, like. So there's genres of everything in there, and it's going to trigger points with so many people. And that's what I wanted. I wanted to share my story, not for me, but for everyone that could possibly open up over their their trauma in the past. Yeah. I mean, with COVID, COVID right now, we we lost twenty million dollars. Like our company's gone bank. It's not bankrupt, but they closed the company. There's no more Forest Films. Um, so I make zero. I sold my story for one dollar. And I make two percent royalties over twenty million. So we were going to do a hundred million at the box office. So pretty much, I was looking at what's that? One point eight million. That's what I was going to get with my two yeah. percent. What I've learned over this weekend is I feel the richest man in the world right now. Oh. And let me just say, like, I'm so appreciative of you being so open and and coming on. The, the podcast to share your story so candidly and everything that you'll be doing reaching out to all the people that have reached out to you it will make a difference it really will and the fact that you've written your book and you, you've done the film it, it's it's more than money like we we're saying all along it's about passion it's about connection with other people it's about you know sharing your story and the hope that you can help others and that's exactly what you're doing so huge yeah. congratulations you don't need me to say that but you know <laughs> uh, you know it's it's wonderful it really is um Thank you'll be you. making such a difference you really I will. mean that was the the first time I ever heard something like that was uh 2016 we're filming and our movie was funded by Forrest Lucas now Forrest Lucas owns Lucas Oil so he flew up he's got his own jet and everything he flew up to the movie set we're filming in Northern California and it was the last weekend and it's the big BMX contest so I invited my heroes that I had posters of on my wall uh, from the 80s. They were all the guest judges because the movie is modern day, not set in mm. the 70s or the 80s. Yeah. So I had the judges as my heroes that I grew up with, and now they're my best friends. I mean, they always say, don't become friends. Don't, don't meet your, your hero or whatever, mm. but meet your hero because if you treat them like another human being, it'll be perfect. Then I had all the X Games gold medalists, the best athletes of today to be in the contest competing against John. So it's modern, it's relatable. So anyway, we're out to dinner. There was 64 of us out to dinner. Uh, Forrest Lucas took us all out to dinner, so you can imagine the bill. And everyone's talking, everything else, and, and Forrest comes up to sit next to me. He he asked, can I sit next to John? He's sitting next to me. And uh, he's just getting some chicken wings out. This is before I was uh, plant-based. But, uh, oh, got you. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so he, he hands me hands me over some chicken wings, and I'm just like, all right. So we're just eating there, and he, he looks at me, and he goes, John, you're the richest man I've ever met. Coming from a billionaire, um, I'm just, he owns the Indianapolis Colts. He owns the stadium, the football team. I mean, this guy, for him to turn around, and he made his own wealth as well. Mm. He, he wasn't given it. He actually went out and did it himself. And for him to say that, I was like, wow. Yeah, and now this weekend, I guess you're really feeling that. What he was saying. Those words. Yeah. yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, and I was uh, going to ask you that about the film, like how much input you had, because obviously, like you're saying, it is set in modern day. So there, there's obviously twists and changes that they've made. Like, so were you quite hands on? Did you have the opportunity to have as much input as you would like? One hundred percent. I I had first right refusal. So yes, we were going to make it in Scotland. We were going to make it set in the seventies to the eighties and everything else. But there's advisors in in uh, Hollywood as well, and they're like, John, we can do this. 
just know that it'll be gritty, it'll be raw, it'll be eighteen. Uh, you're not going to attack. You're not going to attract your target audience. Your target audience is kids in struggle right now. And I was going to say we can't predict the weather in Scotland. Well, we can predict the weather in Scotland. It's going to be pish. <laughs> it's going to be drich. It's going to be drich. It's going to be drich. Drich. So um, they basically said, you know, it's up to you. We can do this. And there's all um, there was a, like a, a refunds and everything else for bringing. Hollywood to Scotland and all that. That was all great financially, mm. but I mean, our budget was 250 grand a day. And if you're rained out for five days, you've just lost one and a quarter million. So listening to all that, and then I was the one that wanted to make it modern day. I was like, I want it to be relatable now. So in 2016, people were still struggling. Right now, it's even worse than it was four years ago with COVID, with the racism, with the domestic violence. I mean, human trafficking is at an all-time high. Um, America right now is the largest producer for child pornography in the world. Th- that's why um, I'm going again off on a bloody tangent. No, but, uh, no, no. No, <laughs> no but it's, it's important that the themes are still there, the, the mm-hmm. important points for you. But even though it's, it's jumped ahead in time, it's still very relevant and everything that you want to come out. You know, what, what I read in the book is going to be there in the film because you've you've had an oversight of everything that's, that's gone into it. Yeah, I mean, that was it. Like, uh, the big difference is it's modern day, it's made in America, my dad's from Sri Lanka, and growing up in the 70s and 80s, I mean, there was a lot of racism with Pakistani, Indian, Sri Lankan, anyone of darker colour, because um, that's the way I was brought up. I was like, I didn't know any better. So I, f- I remember I phoned my dad, I was like, Dad, um, they want uh, African-American playing you. And he's like, well, as long as you get Denzel Washington, I'll be good. <laughs> well, you did not bad because you got loads of Chris. Well, he asked to be part of the film. Go so his, ma- his manager got the script and Chris read it. So he hates getting called ludicrous, but it's, it's Chris. And so he, um, he read the script and basically the manager goes, Chris wants us. He wants this gig. And when Chris asked for the role, we were just like, yes, yes. So, um, so he chose to be a part of this. Sasha Alexander. So Sasha Alexander was an NCIS, Dawson's Creek, Shameless, Friends. Everyone that was in this film was 100% committed to make this the best project they ever done. If it was from the actors to catering to the boom operators to the DP to everyone was there early and finishing late to get the best job done. It has to be treated with care. It's your life. It's your story. And I think it must have been quite a big deal for you initially to hand over that that concept. Like, you know, I'm going to give you permission to tell my story. So it's lovely to hear that you had absolute control over so much of what went into it and that you've came out the other end feeling really proud and really happy of because I'm sure that's not always the case for people who oh yeah story, you know and they have to kind of be hands off and, and not have that opportunity so it's lovely to hear that you've had so much ownership over it oh, so it took five months to sign the contract because I was like no 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 so I had full first right of refusal I was there coaching every actor I was there like Shane Graham especially he was uh, the teenage me uh, he's 24 in real life and he's 16 in the, the show. And a few people have said comments, oh, he, he looks 40 or he looks too old. And I'm like, I've commented back. I'm like, do you realize Greece that we all grew up with, the average age was between 18, 18 and 32. So it's Hollywood, you know. You actually end up starring in the movie as well. Yeah, I have. So basically I'm the flashbacks uh, mm. of my violent bra- background. So I play my own 
alcoholic wife-beating father. I'm the bad guy in the film. Gosh. And was that something that was proposed to you or did you did you ask for that to happen? Like, how did that come around? So my producer, uh, Ali Afshar, basically said to me, he goes, John, this is your movie. Like, who do you want to be in your film? And I chose my biological father. And he's like, no, no, I don't think so. And I'm like, it's my movie. And so he brought in advisors and everything. And people are like, I don't think you should go there. Like, it's too much. But I just kept pushing. I said, I want to bring that demon out. And I tell you, Lisa, on set that day, I mean, I had Sasha Alexander coaching me. She wasn't in the scene, but mm-hmm. I mean, this crew, they, even when they're not working, they're working. Like, they were there. Like, so she's pushing me. Uh, Christine Moore, who plays the biological mother, she's pushing me. I mean, Christina, so they're not recording her. She's looking at me and she's calling me the worst names you can possibly. She's shouting, screaming, almost spitting in my face. I mean, I feel the saliva coming all over me. Like, all that was going on, and I became this. I don't even remember doing it. I watched the movie and I'm like, I don't even remember that. Yeah. Like, so I give so much credit to actors. Like for me to become him, I had to get out of who I was. And I kept trying to act the part. And my director's gone, cut, John, we don't believe you. Action. Cut, John, we don't believe you. Action. Cut. There's 64 people in the room, you know, everyone's there looking at me and I'm fudging up. It's 250 grand a day, and I'm like, oh, my God. So I had to stop thinking. And my, I had acting coaches, everything. Everyone's there. They want me to be the best I possibly could be that day. And I'm stressing about all the costs, and I'm stressing about disappointing everybody else, and I couldn't get in the character. And so once they started really just belittling me and making me feel just so rotten and worthless, that's when he came out. Proper method acting, geez, oh. Oh, it was it – was, Definitely the most toughest day in my life, um, but it's definitely the most, most rewarding. Like, uh-huh, absolutely. But it sounds like it, it sounds like on the whole you were supported through that because you know it's one thing saying you know I'm I'm offering my story up for it to be told through a film, but mm-hmm. but then you know your story has got so much darkness to it as much as it has got so much light, and for you to revisit that and be immersed in that again, so vividly, so yeah. viscerally, like it sounds like quite intense. So. It's I mean, nice you know, to be more supported, although obviously it was a difficult, challenging day. Yeah, definitely. And some of the scenes were so brutal, they, they deleted them. Um, I mean, the scene of me getting thrown in the fire, uh, they deleted that. And Alexander Davies, who plays the young me, instead of me throwing him, he actually throws himself. So my hands are just nice and gentle on him. And he throws himself, but it looks like I'm throwing him but he lands on some padding and everything and it looks like he's smashing against the wall. So it looks brutal. It's amazing how uh, my director of photography filmed some of these scenes. Um, I'm but just yes, thinking like what an opportunity for you. Like you're like, so now I'm on a film set. Oh, the film's just about me, by the way. It's just my life story. But like, again, like that, another new opportunity, another new experience that you could never imagine. Like, you know, we're talking about Ramsey Street. That's one thing. But, yeah. you know, like, being on a movie set, Hollywood, like, that just, that's the stuff of dreams. You know, let alone it be about your life and that you have so much creative control over what happens. Yeah. But you could, I mean, obviously you couldn't write it, but you did, you know. <laughs> I mean, Lisa, I remember the first time I drove into the Hollywood movie set. I drove it. So you normally have to get tour guides and everything. So I go up to the front gate and I give my name and I get the pass and everything. And I, I'm driving in. And I've got Harrow BMX as my number plate on my Batmobile. So I'm driving in and 
And this security guard comes up in his little golf cart and he's like, yo, 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 yo. And I'm like, oh shit, what did I do? So I'm right, I've got a photograph. I'm right in front of the Warner Brothers uh, water tank, my car parked right in front of it. And the guy comes up and he's like, BMX. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And he goes, what are you here for? And I said, oh, you know, did, did this movie, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, park your car and um, I'll give you a lift to the movie set where you're going and stuff. So park the car and he's driving me down and everything. And I tell him the story. He's like, God damn. It was just absolutely amazing. Like that's going to live with me forever. I mean, he came up to take a photograph of my car because it said BMX on it. <laughs> uh, and all it was, and then connecting with people. And it's just like, yeah, it's absolutely remarkable. I mean, it does. Sometimes I do pinch myself that this is all happening to me. Like I do catch myself every so often. I'm driving down the coast highway in Southern California, and I'm just like, "How did this happen to we join for Drum Chapel?" And it was because I created it. You did. Yeah. You absolutely did. And just talking to you, you know, I just get the sense of like you are just that that wee boy, and that you know you've. I can see how humbled you are by all the, the experiences and everything you've done so far that you, you've you've not got a big heed, John. No. You, know, you obviously just appreciate everything that's happened, but that you recognise that it was the passion within you and the drive to do it and to, to succeed and that that wee bike just did end up taking you around the world. And- exactly. And it got me thinking just with that Warner Brothers thing and everything, I, I got a phone call a couple of weeks later and it was from my producer and I'm like, hello, and the, on the other on the other line, it's like, all right, you wee dick. And I'm like, Ali? My producer, Ali, he goes, no, it's Tommy. I'm like, Tommy? He goes, Tommy Flanagan. <laughs> Tommy Flanagan phoned me. And he's like, I've been hearing your story, wee man. And he's like, I grew up in Knightswood, and we were neighbours and all that. When are we catching up for a pint? And I'm like, he's so... There's a goosebumps again. <laughs> I'm like, what? Oh. Um, Jane Seymour, uh, Dr. Quinn, medicine woman, uh, she heard my story, invited me to her house. She did a movie with my producers and directors, and they were doing some behind-the-scenes stuff, interviewing her for a video. And she's like, where's Ali today? And uh, Alex, my director, was, oh, we're doing a new film about this kid from Scotland. Scotland? What's this about? And she's, he told her, and she, she goes, get Ali on the phone. I want to meet John. So we had to leave Warner Brothers and drive <laughs> over. She lives in Malibu. Yeah, the people I'm meeting and everyone is just so humble. Everyone is just so amazing to work with. Because, look, we all came here with nothing and we're going to leave with nothing. So enjoy the journey. Enjoy the ride. Uh, enjoy the ride. Yes, yes. <laughs> on brand, John. Loving it on brand. <laughs> oh, I'm like, my face is sore for smiling at you. I'm just, I'm just, I feel so honoured to, to speak to you. And especially at this moment, because I can just tell, like, out such an important time for you and um, I know it's just going to continue to soar and the experience that you're going to have are just going to be life altering and I'm sure the people that you're still going to meet and, and hear from and um, yeah I just I just sending you all the, the energy and the positivity for, for that because there's more good stuff to come by the sounds of things Oh definitely, I mean I do believe like I share this as well today is the beginning of the rest of your life so what are you going to do with it? Like this is it this is what you have so whatever happened in the past, you can't change it. Leave it where it is and create the most amazing future for yourself by leaving it there and living in the now. That's so, what I took away from your book when you'd written a letter to yourself. Oh, yeah. You <laughs> said, um, nothing is stronger than a positive mindset and a desire to improve. You can do it. Live in the present and leave the past where it belongs. I know you can because I did. 
always and forever. Beautiful, beautiful, sir. Oh, wow. Now, before I make you greet, I'm going to take you on to what's called the thingamabobs. Now, these are random questions that I like to ask my guests at the end of the podcast, just to get to know them better. Now, I didn't tell you about this, John, so it is off the cuff. You know, if your answer would maybe be different tomorrow, but don't worry about that. So here's the first one. Okay. What is your, now you're such a positive person, but what is your biggest pet peeve? What really gets your goat? Oh, what gets my goat? And it can be something um, really petty. Or okay, really? Do you want to hear really petty? Yeah. I won't allow food in my car because I got swayed all over the car. The steering wheel, the seats, I don't want it to stink. I even had the president of my company in my car once we were out to lunch and he had that leftover pizza. He held it out the car like this. <laughs> <laughs> he's my boss. He's the president in my company and he's got the pizza above the car. The Everybody, no, no food in the car. Well, yeah. I mean, it's the Batmobile and it's got suede interior. Come on. Yeah. So dirty. I don't like dirty. Fine. Fine. <laughs> and I, I don't think that's petty at all. I think that's absolutely fine. Okay. <laughs> Good answer. Oh, here's one. Do you call it roasted cheese or toasted cheese? Toasted. Do you know? Living in Australia, I mean, I was there for 18 mm-hmm. years and they're all about toasties. Of course. So I probably forgot the word roasted. But yeah, you would put the cheese and put it under the grill and you would roast it. You would roast it. So you brought a wee memory back to me. Thank you. Oh, roasted cheese. <laughs> I know it was funny because even the bar here, they make these amazing toasted sandwiches. And I, I think they just call it grilled gr- grilled cheese sandwich or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I'll have one of your toasties. And, and she's like, I think I'm going to change the menu and call it toasties. She loved oh, it. Oh, shit. Come on now. <laughs> John, what's the best thing about Scotland? Oh, my God. Honestly, I mean, it is. It's it's the freedom. It's home. It's, I mean, I love, when I go back, I, I always have to go up to Sky. I mean, that's my favourite spot. I love Sky. Uh, went up to Dunvegan. We're so patriotic. And sadly, some people forget how amazing Scotland is. I mean, that's why I carry it on my shoulder every day. I carry her, sorry, I carry her on my shoulders every day. But yeah, it's everything about it. I love, I love the countryside. I love the people. They're pure. They're real. They'll tell you how it is. You know, there's no halfway. It's like you're a deek. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Shut it. So that's what I love. I love it. It's pure. If you were out on your bike, what is the best road in the world to ride your bike on? Um, so I've got a road bike. So if I'm going to be riding roads, it would be the coast highway. Um, there's just the Pacific Ocean is right there. You're riding along the Pacific Ocean. It's quite flat, so it's no bad for my knees because I've got patella tendonitis. So, uh, yeah, I can do 54 miles Gosh. round trip, round trip, easy, without having to hit a mountain or anything like that. It's just this coast highway. So I love that. I love riding there. And the last question, I'm gutted to be finishing this conversation, but the last question uh, I do ask everyone is, what is your favourite Scottish word or phrase? Get off you. <laughs> I don't actually think anyone said that in the whole year and nine months that I've been doing this podcast. Or in fact, it's even longer than that. It's nearly it's like, what, 11 months or something, a year and 11 months. So well done, That John. just came out. That just came out. I think that, that's probably my favourite. But I'm always, I'll always be... Uh, 
reciting uh, Rabbi Burns, you know, like over here, people are like, so what's a Scottish accent like? But like, ah, yeah, we slick at Curran Timorous Beastie with a panic and I beastie, I've never seen a war say hasty, you slick at Curran Timorous Beastie, careful like no one, I come to you five, 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 nah, 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 nah. Brilliant, you're great for a Burns up in any day of the week. <laughs> so that was, I was adding Robbie Burns and a wee bit of Dundonian in there, you know. I love it, I love it. Oh. <laughs> You've not lost it, John, you have not at all. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so, so much for coming on the Bra and the Brave. You are indeed Bra Brave, sir. Thank you, darling. Thank you. I appreciate your time as well. And uh, this, is, this has been brilliant. I love it. I love anything to do with home. Well, I will absolutely let you go and have, you know, because what, what time are we over there? We're like nine in the morning nine. or something? Yeah, just after nine. You've yep. got like a day's work to do, so I better let you go. Oh, yeah. I've been here since 6.30, so I'm always, because I'm second in charge here, so I'm always the first in the building and the last to leave. So I can always take time for this and everything because I'm, I'm not 95. Um, I'm 24-7. <laughs> you are indeed, sir. You are indeed. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Bra and the Brave, a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now.